If we want to list every way Spreaker can help podcast publishers, well, we need a podcast of our own. Whether you're in charge of long-running series with extensive backlogs or countless limited series, you can organize and monetize your entire catalog with Spreaker. With Spreaker's customizable publisher plan, you can add collaborators, analyze extensive listener analytics, and even share exclusive content through custom RSS feeds. And that's just for starters. Head to Spreaker.com to learn more. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com. To the Porcher on Firefall Talk Radio. I'm Richard Grund. This is where we get back to basics, examining the Word of God, especially the Book of Acts Church, how they did things, why they did things, following their example. We look at the red letter basics and we find the church that the Lord intended, not the one that man created. The Porch has always been about restoring the priesthood of the believer and regaining that world shaking influence the early church had. To get out there and do what he told us to do, there's only one thing that will hasten the coming of the Lord, to preach the gospel, and then the end will come. Once he decides it's the end, he's going to get up and he's going to come. Until then, we've got a job to do. The church age is still in effect. The fire still falls. The day of Pentecost has not ended. The Holy Spirit is still available to us. The Porch is an outreach of Solomon's Porch, Inc. On solomonsporch.org is the place. If you have any questions, go there. Use the contact button, or you can just go to firefalltalkradio.com. Use the contact button. There's also ways to support us. We appreciate your support. It pays for what we do. Make sure you bookmark the Spreaker site for Firefall Talk Radio, spreaker.com forward slash user. Forward slash one word, Firefall Talk Radio. The Porch Light newsletter went out. It was emailed to everybody on our list, and the links were posted on the various Facebook pages. If you're not on the email list and would like to be, let us know. We will add you. We're about to clean things up. A lot of people aren't opening up the newsletter or even checking it out. My apologies for last week. I was using an old laptop because my good laptop was being repaired, and it had the original link when we separated the port shows, so some of you had a scurry to find it, but I fixed it afterwards. But again, um, that won't happen tonight. The video for the C conference will be edited. As I said, I had a problem with my MacBook Pro, and actually for the conference I had to use my old laptop. And as I mentioned to somebody, it's like nine years old, and it wheezes when it works. <gasps> you know, so it's just the Lord blessed it and held it together. He also gave a blessing that, A, the laptop was fixable, and it cost me $200 as opposed to $2,600, which is what a new one to do what I do would have cost me. But I am believing 
that all needs are going to be met. Everything we need to do to get the job done will be available. Now, if you came to the conference, you will get an automatic link to the video. It will be posted in Firefall Media Group's Vimeo account. It will either be password protected or on a private page. As for everyone else accessing it, it's under prayerful consideration. I really haven't decided. Usually what I do is I let the Lord lead me to who is supposed to see it. I just don't blanket post them on the Internet. I just don't do that. That's not what I've been led to do. We've had a tough week here in America. We've had mass shootings in El Paso and Dayton and Ohio, but the truth is every day, every night, every weekend, evil is winning. People are being murdered, dying. Um, But the news media and politicians like to hang their hat on dramatic events. And I won't make this a political thing, and I won't make it anything more than an evil thing. We live in a fallen world. Hasatan and the fallen and their demonic offspring are out and about doing their job. And this is not going to change. doesn't matter who's in the White House. It matters who sits on the white throne of judgment. It matters only that we do our part, we stay alert, stay vigilant, stay prayed up, and make sure that we are praying. So I pray for the families and loved ones of those who have been victimized by this. But I'm telling you, folks, it's only going to get worse. So I praise him. Yes, I'm going to start out by praising him. It's dark, it's ugly, but I have hope. I praise him for my home. I praise him for my wife, for my sons and daughter-in-laws. I praise him for my grandson. I praise him for his furry kids that he's given us to tend to and to take care of. Um, We've been given dominion over every living creature, and that's our job. I praise him for every possession that he's given us and everything he's given me to do this. I praise him for the ministry he allows me to work. I say this, and I mean it, and it's a reminder. You will never see my name on this ministry. It's his ministry. I praise him for the dreams and the visions which I believe are about to come true. Things that he's been showing us for years are right there within reach. Praise him for his healing virtues. I praise him for the power of prayer and the ability that he's given to us and the voice of praise which can shake things up and can heal things that we can begin to change the atmosphere. We are new creations. I praise him for that. I praise him that I am fearfully and wonderfully made, and my soul knows this well. Praise Him for living in prophetic times, and I do praise Him for America with all its warts, all its problems, all the nonsense that the media likes to focus on. I praise Him that we live in a country that allows us to worship Him in spirit and in truth and to do things like the porch. And I also praise Him that He's getting ready to return. So let's get ready. My prayers are, as I said, for America and those that are hurting, but for the darkness and the ugliness, I pray for the light to expose it all, that every hidden thing be revealed. I pray for the Middle East and Israel and the peace of Jerusalem, which means I'm praying for the return of the Prince of Peace, that my Jewish brothers and sisters would be complete in Hamashiach and come to know him as Messiah. 
My prayer is for the, those in the Middle East. He's appearing in dreams and visions to to Muslims, and they're being converted overnight. For our brothers and sisters around the world being persecuted and slaughtered for their faith, they won't give up. They're holding on. They have hope. Their hope is in him. My prayer is for the slaughter of the innocents. You know, we are a bloody nation. We're killing babies in the womb. We're chopping them apart. We're throwing them out like garbage. We're selling their body parts. We do things to his creation that grieve me. So I pray against that and I pray for us. I pray for the victims of human trafficking. It's worse than we knew and it's going to get worse. You know, the enemy is in full effect. I, I can't repeat that enough, but we have been given all authority in heaven and earth to not only stop it, but to heal it and to go rescue them and to do something about it. But to do that, we're going to need to be divinely whole and healthy. So let's get back to our divine design. I pray for everyone right now that is sick or hurt in their heart, mind, soul, or spirit to be healed in the name of Yeshua, Hamashiach, Jesus, the Messiah, King of kings, Lord of lords. All his healing virtues to flow for divine protection, for the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the love of the Lord to fill our hearts, for the remnant to wake up, rise up, and answer the call to action. If you've been blessed, be a blessing. I believe the blessings are coming. I believe the open conduits of his blessings are beginning to flow. I apprehend them by faith, and I pray that you would do the same, that we will prosper in accordance with his word as our soul prospers. Not about worldly prosperity, it's about spiritual prosperity. Continue to pray for my wife, Debbie, in Orlando, for continued healing and renewal in her body, not restoration. Don't give her back what she had. Give her back a new and healed body. Praying for favor in a lawsuit that's been ongoing, that God's favor would rain down upon people and they would not even want to go to court and they would settle. Don in Lexington, who was at the sea conference with her family, um, asked to be kept in prayer. If you remember, she broke her foot and it's having a hard time healing for the medicine that she takes for her Crohn disease. So right now, Don, in the name of Yeshua, in the name above all names, let the cells in your foot and the cells in your bones and everything necessary for that to heal and be made whole to happen in Yeshua's name. I bind the meds from interfering with that. Let them do their job in the area that they're meant to do their job, but no longer hinder anything else. And I also pray that you'd be healed there as well, that you would no longer need man-made medicine, but that you would be blessed, healed, and delivered by the Holy Spirit of the living God. She also asked, you know, for help, and she takes care of people's kids and their fur babies, and so it's been hard for her to relax and praying that she and Mark stay immersed in God's Word and the fire that was relit inside of them during the conference continues to burn. Stacy in Texas says, Before I bring my need, I'll bring my heart. Abba, thank you for your love. You brought me out of darkness. Thank you for your mercy and grace my spiritual family, and for everything you have given me. Thank you for providing for Kim in such a miraculous way today. Abba, please deliver my husband and my family. May they see your love and grace 
that I've seen through your love and grace. May they learn their identity in you. Protect my children, heal their little hearts. May they come to know you as I do. Please bless and protect my best friend Kim and her family. Bless and protect the Porch family and SRT. May they be given the provisions required to complete the mission you have for them. She says, Abba, I need a job, and my kids need a safe place for child care. Please guide me in finding these things in Jesus' name. You are my heart and my hope. I need nothing more than you and your perfect will in my life. Well, I added an addendum, because right after she posted that, she got a call for an interview for a job that she applied for that will answer that prayer. Kim in Fort Mitchell says, I praise him, can't even put into words what I mentioned above. Well, you know what? Kim wrote to me this morning and said, I'm applying for a job. Would you pray for me? Would you pray that they would accept me with the limitations that I have? Well, she got hired on the spot, but for a better position than what she applied for. She says, I felt God when I looked into this woman's eyes. I praise you, Father. I praise you for almost three years of living a sober life from August 17th of 2016. Father, thank you for saving my soul. I can't wait to spend eternity with you. In the meantime, I want to share with people what you have for me. I was so far, so far gone when you took my hand and told me, now go, three years ago. Thank you for teaching me to be the mother my children needed, for protecting us and providing for us. I feel so blessed to be a part of the Porch family. I want to, you to know how special you are. Father, continue to provide for us, keep us safe, praying for Stacy, the children, my mom, her mom, as well as my mom and my husband. Protect my dog, Bruno, Father, and keep him healthy. And Father, I'm asking you to bless my, stop, I, I stopped asking you to bless my mess, and things shifted. Thank you. I'm praying in behalf of the innocent, the children, and the animals that don't have a voice. Father, shine a light into the darkest alley and deliver your children in Jesus' name. Well, Lord, this is really what it's all about, coming to you in unity and prayer, bearing each other's burdens, loving each other as you love us. So we love you, Dad. We love you, Abba. We love you because you first loved us. You loved us when we were unlovable. You gave us your son and asked him to die for us and shed every drop of blood to cover our sin. But now we live. He died for us. We live for him. And we thank you for that. We thank you for the ability to boldly approach the throne of grace and mercy. We thank you for the ability to call you Abba, Father, Papa, God. You're not some distant religious judgmental figure. You are the living God. You are our Father in heaven. And someday we'll see you and we'll be with you. But for now, we're going to love you from here. We're going to love you in word and deed and action and soul and spirit. And, Lord, we love you beyond anything our words can say for what you did, for what you endured, and the fact that you continue to intercede for us. We thank you that you've allowed us the favor of sitting with you in the heavenly places. We thank you that everything is under your feet. Hasatan, the fallen, the other angels, the demonic offspring, it's all under your feet. And you've been given us the ability and the authority to subject them and keep them at bay. We thank you for teaching us, Holy Spirit, and guiding us and reminding us and touching us as you're touching hearts right now. You're changing people even as I speak. You're healing wounds, answering questions. I thank you for the wind of change that is now blowing. 
I thank you for the wind of blessing that is now blowing. I thank you for what you've shown us and what we're about to see and hear. And I give you all the honor, all the glory, and all the praise. In Yeshua's name, amen. These lessons are proprietary information, except where noted the information comes from outside sources. combination of that information, the matter presented, is exclusive, cannot be repeated or used without permission. The date of this broadcast serves as the registered date of the following information. There's a feeling of despair in the earth all around us. Strong, faithful people are fighting depression, feeling hopeless. And that oppression is heavy. It covers everything. It pushes them down. They can't breathe, can't move, don't want to move. They despair of life itself. I've heard them say it. Some of these people are mighty, mighty people in prayer and faith that have come to the place where they're just beat up. Despair is hopelessness. And it takes us over until we don't want to live anymore. It's a horrible, dark place to be. And you can't sit in judgment of somebody when they're there because when you get there and you experience it, you suddenly realize how they're feeling. David felt that a lot of his psalms come from that perspective. Psalm 42, verses 5 and 6. Why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise Him again, my Savior and my God. Now I am deeply discouraged, but I will remember you. Why are you cast down? These these words, he repeats them over and over in that psalm and in Psalm 43, Psalm 43, verse 5. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him, the help of my countenance and my God. We are renewed in the presence of God. You know, when I prayed before, it's something the Lord changed me. I'd pray for restoration, then I'd realize, wait a second, I want the best of what he has. So I want to be renewed. I want to get back to my divine design. I don't want to be the way I was before. I want to be a better me in body and soul and spirit. But the common message it's to praise him. And now David David's not talking about private devotion and praise. He's talking about the public praise of the goodness of God. This is praise in words, praise in songs that were repeated in the midst of the congregation that were done with others. Oh, I know people don't like that. I don't care what people like. When we go out in public, We grab hands, we bow our head and pray. If the waitress or waiter shows up, they have to wait, and they do. You don't see it a lot. I see sometimes people look over, nobody's ever said anything, wouldn't care if they did. I'm going to praise him. But when we come together, we need to praise him. If, If we do another C conference, and we do come together somewhere in some place at some time, hopefully... We will have, not hopefully, we will. We will have the provisions 
to do praise and worship. Lord, I wanted to do, but we couldn't get it done. Enter his presence with thanksgiving. Enter his courts with praise. Ephesians 5.19, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Hebrews 13.15, therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. You know, we know that. You've heard me say it before. I've heard others say it. But sometimes when you've journeyed so far into the darkness, it just seems like words. Your ears hear it, but your heart doesn't feel it. And that's where the danger comes. Feelings are not the truth. His word is. Whether you feel it or not, do it. Begin to change the atmosphere by what you say. See how your words can change things. But we get so caught up in fighting and pushing and striving and struggling that finally all our energy is gone and you just want to sleep forever. You want to crawl into a fetal position and wait for the Lord to take you home. How did that happen? You know how that happens? We begin to strive under our own power. We we come to the end of ourself. Our tank is empty because it's us doing it. Psalm 55, starting verse 1, this is the Amplified Version. But many of the scriptures tonight are in the Amplified. I really want to show this. Psalm 51, verse 1, Listen to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my supplication. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless and distraught in my complaint and must moan. And I am distracted at the noise of the enemy because of the oppression and the hearts of the wicked, for they would cast trouble upon me. And in wrath they persecute me. My heart is grievously pained within me, and the terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling have come upon me. Horror and fright have overwhelmed me. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove, I would fly away and be at rest. David wanted to run. He wanted to get away. But then we jump down to verse 16 and 17. He says, as for me, after saying all that, he says, as for me, I will call upon God, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning at noon, I will utter my complaint and moan and sigh. Psalm 55, verse 22, cast your burden on the Lord. Release the weight of it, and he will sustain you. He will never allow you, the consistently righteous, to be moved, made to slip or fall or fail. And then he ends up by saying, hear my voice. The disciples understood it. The apostles understood it. The book of Acts church understood it. 1 Peter 5, starting in verse 7. Listen to me. This word right here is for all of us, but for somebody very, very specific right now. Casting the whole of your care, all your anxieties, all your worries, and all your concerns once and for all on him. For he cares for you affectionately and cares about you watchfully. Be well balanced, temperate, sober of mind. Be vigilant and cautious at all times. For that enemy of yours, the devil, roams around like a lion, roaring in fierce hunger, seeking to seize upon and devour. Withstand him. Be firm in the faith against his onset. Rooted, established, strong, immovable, and determined. 
knowing that the same, the identical sufferings are appointed to your brotherhood, the whole body of believers throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who imparts all blessing and favor, who has called you to his own eternal glory in Messiah Yeshua, Messiah Jesus, will himself complete and make you as you ought to be, established and ground you securely and strengthen and settle you. For those of you that were at the sea conference, and if you remember a lot of what I taught on, that last scripture should resonate in you, that he would establish and ground you securely and strengthen and settle you. And yet, as I say all these things, I've said them before, and people, they, they say, but I, he- I hear these thoughts in my mind that shock me. I know they're not my thoughts, but I hear them anyway. And those thoughts that tell them they'd be better off dead, it'd be better for everybody they knew if they were dead, families, friends, associates, would be better off if they were gone. We, we hear stories of this all over the world, of people, I don't know why I do that. Or we see the suicide rate confirms this. People believe that the answer is not being here, that it's death. Where are these thoughts coming from? They're not coming from them unless they're mentally ill. They're not coming from God. His words give life and, and bring peace. Psalm 94, 18 and 19, if I say my foot slips, your mercy, O Lord, will hold me up. In the multitude of my anxieties within me, you, your comforts delight my soul. John six sixty three. it is the spirit who gives life to flesh, profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. The world can't help you. They can't. They can medicate you. They can give you worldly schemes and, and plans. But the truth is, it's the Holy Spirit sent to us by the Lord from the Father, from the throne room, that gives life. The flesh profits nothing. James tells us in James 3.17, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. So there's only one source of those thoughts I mentioned. And like I said, if a person doesn't have a history of mental illness or some brain injury, we know the source of those thoughts. The God of all creation is not the source of those thoughts. It's not in his nature. There's only one creature. There's only one creation that thinks like that. There's only one kingdom that brings darkness into your heart, your mind, and your soul. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against what? Principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual host of wickedness in the heavenly places, Ephesians 6.12. So we need to take our thoughts captive. The minute you hear those thoughts, the minute you hear thoughts that are trying to make you curse yourself instead of bless yourself, the minute you hear thoughts of hopelessness, You've got to rebuke them. You've got to get the word out. You've got to start reading these scriptures I've been reading to you out loud. Begin to speak to them. Begin to speak to these thoughts. Begin to push back. Because the enemy's pushing back on your faith. The enemy's trying to steal your hope. Maybe he already has. 
time for you to rise up and push back. Hope is all lost when we take our eyes off of God. You have to hold on. That's what tonight's message is. Hold on. We take our eyes off of God and we put them on our circumstances. Shadows always appear larger and more frightening the longer you stare at them. Have you ever noticed that? Well, take your eyes off of the shadows and turn them towards the light, capital L. Yeah, I know what you're thinking. Easier said than done, Richard. No, I know. I know. But you got to do it anyway. Once you get your eyes on shadows, it's like looking at a car accident. You want to look away, but you can't. You keep staring. And, and this mindset of hopelessness, it's enveloping the country. And every time somebody tries to heal or bring words of healing, the, the, what I believe is the mainstream media, which is run by the fallen themselves, and I don't say that jokingly, I believe at the head of the studios and the head of the networks and some of the people of the global elite that control those things. I know this sounds wacky. I believe that if they're not demonically possessed, they're probably fallen angels in human form. They don't want you to think that way. They set you down the road of the simple thought, the simple, the event, the mishap, the, the argument, the loss. That if you don't immediately take it to the Lord in prayer, that feeling begins to envelop you and it starts to spread like a vine. begins to wrap itself around you until you can't move, you can't walk, and next thing you know you've fallen. And when you finally realize what's happening, it's too late. Or you think it is. Even then you have the ability to cry out. Even then you have the ability to speak the word. Even then you can speak scripture. But if this is you and you've experienced this, I know I have. Don't don't beat yourself up about it. It happens to the best of them. Even the great prophet Elijah, somebody I studied early on in, in ministry, somebody that I tried to model myself after. Unfortunately, I had some of his other attributes that after the tremendous miracle on Mount Carmel in 1 Kings 18, when he calls down the fire and it consumes the sacrifice and licks up the water and even takes the wood that the sacrifice was put on. And the people see it and they fell on their face and they start saying, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. And Elijah, in his passion... And, and enthusiasm tells them to seal the, seize the prophets of Baal. These are Jezebel's hand-picked. Don't let them escape. So they grabbed them, and they executed them. And I mean, for, for Elijah, this should have been a great moment. And then the rain, which he stopped three years ago, he releases. He's at the high point of his ministry. And what happens? We start out. In 1 Kings 19, Elijah wasn't paying attention. You see, faith is always attacked when it's obtained and the blessing is manifested. The enemy always pushes back. 1 Kings 19, verse 1. So when Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he killed all the prophets of Baal. 850 of her false prophets. Now, Jezebel, had she not been demon-possessed, 
who had heard about the fire, heard about the sacrifice, heard about this miraculous event, and how easily her prophets were slaughtered and cut her losses. But no, she sent a message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. I don't know, right about that time Elijah should have sent back a message, where do you want me to send the fire? But he didn't do that. He was a first three. Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling another day. And he sat down under a solitary broom tree, a juniper tree, and he prayed that he might die. This is a man 24 hours earlier that had called down fire on Mount Carmel, now wants to die. And he says, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who've already died. Beersheba is 80 miles away from where he was, but that wasn't far enough for him. That wasn't far enough for his despair. He had to travel on another day, another journey into the wilderness by himself. He was at a place where he despaired of even life itself and didn't believe he deserved to live. If any of that sounds familiar, you're in good company. I've heard it before. What is your valley of despair? Where has fear driven you into the wilderness, and how far have you journeyed before you sat down? A failed marriage, a broken relationship with a loved one, a dream that has died or was stillborn upon arrival, a job lost, a failure of some sort, loss of a loved one, whatever it is, whatever's gotten you to that place where it's all unraveled, and you just sit down and want it to be over. If you're honest with yourself, if you're a believer, you're going to ask one more question. How did I get here? Well, you've reached a place, probably the best place you can be, because you can't rescue yourself. And you're going to realize that you don't have the ability to change anything. In other words, like Elijah, you've come to the end of yourself. First Kings nineteen thirty verse 5, Then he, being Elijah, lay down and slept under the broom tree. But as he was sleeping, the angel touched him and told him, Get up and eat. And he looked around, and there beside his head was some bread, baked on hot stones and a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came to him and touched him and said, Get up and eat some more, or the journey ahead will be too much for you. And some of the trash places says he kicked his foot. I mean, check this out. Not only can this angel cook, but he's trying to inspire Elijah to get up. So he got up and he ate and he drank, and the food gave him enough strength to travel 40 days and 40 nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And then he came to a cave where he spent the night. Get up, eat the word, drink the living water, and take the food that the Lord has for you. And I've always thought one of the first things I caught was that Elijah sat under a broom tree. He wanted to be swept away. But instead, his flesh, his pride, and his ego got swept away. 
and he needed divine intervention. And the Lord sent an angel to do that for him. It's only when we run out of us that we are able to receive the Lord's help. And that's when he sends supernatural help, supernatural provision, supernatural strength for us to keep going. And notice, he doesn't carry us, nor does he make it easy for us, but he makes a way where there is and there was no way. Elijah had to make the journey. Elijah had to eat. He had to drink. He had to go 40 days and 40 nights on what he ate and drank. Is this resonating with anybody? Hebrews 6, starting verse 16. Now when people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to to hold it, to hold them to it. And without any question, that oath is binding. God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it's impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is strong and a, a strong trustworthy anchor for our souls. A strong, trustworthy anchor for our souls goes on in Hebrews 10, verses 23 and 20 through 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another to stir up love and good works, not forsaking and assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. See, this this exhortation was about the coming of the Lord. Hold on to your hope. He's coming back. Hold on to your hope. He made a promise. He's as good as his word. So let us seize and hold fast and retain without wavering the hope that we cherish and confess, speak it out loud, and our acknowledgement of it, for he who promised is reliable, he's sure and faithful to his word. That hold fast gives us the image of an anchor. Yeah, there is a storm, but anchor to something or this storm will take you off course or worse, drown you. It may overturn the boat. You got to hold on. See, that, that's what this is about. Hold on. No matter what's going on, hold on. No matter what the enemy's doing, hold on. No matter what the world is telling you, hold on. No matter what the bills are saying, hold on. No matter what society's telling you, hold on. No matter what the newscasters and the prognosticators are telling you, hold on. There's hope. Our hope is in him. Yeshua says in Mark eleven, twenty-two through 24, Have faith in God. For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be removed and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, and believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them, 
and you will have them. This is not name it and claim it. This is speaking to things not as they are, but as they should be, that they should be in accordance with his word, in accordance with his promises, and you are told in red-letter basics right there to hold on by trusting in the only one, the capital O, who is reliable. Man is not reliable. The system is not reliable. The government is definitely not reliable. Face it, we're not reliable. Only the Lord is faithful to do what he said he would do. And we know that the cross proved that he is faithful to do what he said he would do. Yeshua has proven himself worthy of our trust, our faith, and our hope. He is our hope. That's why we hold on. Everything else pales in comparison. So what's keeping you from believing that? It's right there. I believe that there's a lie from Hasatan, from the enemy. A lie that you're not worthy of it. Or that he will not accept you as you are. Your sin is too great. Your walk is too weak. Or some other lie that he knows will work on you to keep you from knowing the truth and having the truth set you free. You're unworthy. You're unloving. All lies. Some of you learned that this weekend at the Sea Conference. Some of you walked out there knowing that you were wonderfully and fearfully made, that he made you in his image and why he made you and what he wants you to do for him. You left there different. And you know what? There's nothing that you've done that he doesn't know about. And nothing that he knows whether you've done or will do, will keep him from loving you and accepting you. And once you accept that his love for you will gently take care of whatever your needs are, you'll realize, hey, if I just let him do it, you may not even notice it happening. But it'll be yours. Isn't that amazing? You send out a a prayer request. I need a job. An hour later, the call comes for the job that you really want because it fits everything. You go for a job and you're willing to work in the back. And they look at you and say, I'm hiring you on the site and I want you in the front. You're worthy. Not because of anything you've done but because of what he's done. If you could see yourself the way he sees you, what would you think? If you could see others the way he sees them, what would you think? Can anything separate us from Messiah's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? Well, the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed. Every day we are slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Messiah who loved us. And Paul, telling the Romans, says, I am convinced, and he would be convinced, 
that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of of darkness, powers of hell, can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation, will ever separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Messiah Yeshua, our Lord. So if you want to get right, if you want to fix things, the place to start is at the cross. See, the cross becomes your anchor. It's always your anchor. When the troubles come and you get a little lost and you don't know where you are, you go back to the cross. You remember what he did for you. If you can remember the cross, you'll never be lost. You'll always find your way back to the marker that starts your path. Accept the fact you need a Savior and make him Lord of your life. And you know what? I realize that every day. Leave all the dirt and the degradation of your old life there, battered, nailed to that bloody cross that he allowed himself to be nailed to for you and me. But then don't stay there. Discover him like Mary did at the empty tomb and realize the one that you love and who loves you is unlike anyone else and he's alive. You got to look for him to find him. If you seek him, you'll find him. The resurrected Savior is waiting to be found. But don't stay there. Wait for him at the upper room. Wait for the blessing. Wait for the promise of the Father. He will enable you. He will strengthen you. He will empower you to hold on to the freedom of the cross and the revelation of the upper room. Because remember what I said, a blessing obtained, faith obtained, the enemy's going to push back. He's going to come try to steal it. And you know, my attitude is, you know, come, come here, Satan. Come here, fallen angel. Come here, demon. Let's have a meeting at the cross. Recognize this. But this is a process. It's a journey that we must walk, all of us, from the cross to the empty tomb and then to the upper room. But we don't even stop there. It's a great place to stop. But we don't stop there because we are being sent out into a fallen world under the control of the evil one. But we are under the orders from the holy one. Hold on. If you've lost hope, you've forgotten who you are, and you've forgotten how we got here. You've also seemed to be misled into thinking you can make it through the storm alone. Galatians 6, starting in verse 1. Dear brothers and sisters, if another believer is overcome by some sin, you who are godly should gently and humbly help that person back onto the right path. And be careful not to fall into the same temptation yourself. Share each other's burdens, and in this we obey the law of Messiah. If you think you're too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself. You're not that important. Remember, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. That's zeal. But then love your neighbor as yourself. That's compassion. You can't have a zeal for God without the love and the compassion for others. You can't do it. 
One is religion, one is relationship. And you don't want to do it, because I'm going to warn you that if you have zeal without compassion and love, he's going to teach it to you the hard way. I know he had to do it to me. I may have shared this, and this is not my notes, but I feel led to offer it. When I was young and new as a believer, I was full of fire. I had zeal. One night at Christian Heritage, it was actually a summer night, so it was, it, it, we were outside at some get-together, and Shelley pulled me aside, and he said, Hey, sport, and if you read my book, when Shelley says, Hey, sport, you're, you're about to get a message. He said, Hey, sport, you need to turn down that fire. You're scorching people. <laughs> in my zeal and in my arrogance, I just looked at him, somebody I should have listened to and accepted and said, if the Lord wants to turn down my fire, he's going to have to reach down from heaven and turn the knob himself. Well, he did. He taught me love and compassion the hard way. To fulfill and choosing to bear each other's burdens means restoration. It means beyond the normal capacity to carry because the load that they have is more than they can handle. No, we are called to help each other. We're called to pray for one another. We're called to reach out to one another. I know there are some people that want to go into the darkness. They want to go into the valley of despair, and they want to go one day further. They want to be by themselves, and oh, woe is me. But maybe your email will reach them. They may not answer the phone call, but your name and the caller ID, maybe it'll do something. Maybe you send them a book or a gift. Whatever the Spirit tells you to do, help them and encourage them to stand still and to look for him. Encourage them not to listen to the thoughts of despair and giving up. Encourage them to take their mind off their circumstances, even just for a moment, put them on him. Oh, the promise will still be there. They won't go away until you find him in the midst of the storm. Stand still. He'll be found if you want him to. Nothing else in all creation matters at that moment to him but you. He says it right here in Matthew eighteen twelve through 14. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of, the, one of them wanders away, what will he do? Will he leave the 99 others on the hill and go out to search for the one that is lost? Won't he leave the 99 others on the hill and go search for the one that's lost? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he will rejoice over it more than over the other 99 that didn't wander away in the same way as not my heavenly, it's not my heavenly Father's will that even one of these little ones should perish. You know, that scripture makes no sense until you're the sheep that wandered away and you're lost and you're hoping that he comes to look for you. At that moment, nothing matters to you except being found by him and nothing matters more to him than finding you. He's waiting on you to want to be found. He's waiting for you to want him to find you. It's like a game of hide and seek. Well, you want to be found. 
I remember a story just came to mind of a father that would play hide-and-seek with his children, but when it was his turn to hide, he always made sure that they could find him. He didn't hide so well that they could never find him. You want to, your hope is in him. It's not man, it's not religion, it's not buildings, it's not programs or systems. Your hope is in a living Savior who cares about you. And it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what you've done. There will be times that this will happen to you. But we have proof and we have a testimony of his faithfulness. We have living testimonies of others like me and Elijah who have gone through it. When you've reached rock bottom, look up. The only place left to look. Anchor to the cross. There's only one place you're going to find your hope and find your way out of the valley of despair. So where's your hope? What are you holding on to? God alone. My soul wait silently for God alone. For my expectation is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. And I saw this visual of that sheep that has wandered off and realized that the flock can't be seen, the shepherd can't be seen, the rustling in the bushes is probably wolves, and what they do is they hide somewhere and they stand still and they don't make a sound. Stand still and know that he is God. It's out of your control. There's nothing you can do. He's the only one who can do it for you. Psalm 62, that was verses 5 through 7. The Amplified of verse 5 is, My soul wait only upon God and silently submit to Him for my hope and my expectations are from Him. How many times we moan and groan and complain and throw our little tantrums. We want him to know how miserable we are thinking that he will come to us faster, but that's not what will do it. Silent hope in a heart will draw a living and a loving God. Or maybe you believe everything I just said. Maybe you believe he can answer us. You just don't believe he'll answer you. We don't believe we deserve it. And you know what? You're correct. We don't deserve it. But grace is unmerited favor. That's what it's all about. It's not a matter of what you deserve. It's a matter of what he's able to do. Gabriel makes the declaration to Elizabeth about the birth of John the Baptist, and she's beyond childbearing years, and for God, for with God, nothing will be impossible. Luke one thirty seven. Yeshua in Luke eighteen twenty seven says, "The things which are impossible with men are possible with God." Jeremiah talking about God's abilities in Jeremiah thirty two verses twenty six and twenty seven. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, "Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me?" No, we know by His word that it's not. But for some reason, we have an inbred self-condemnation. We don't think we're worthy. If that's what you believe right now, I'm telling you that's a lie. 
I'll state very clearly, those thoughts are not from your Heavenly Father, and their origin is demonic. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. For what man is there among you who if his son asks for bread will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Red letters, Matthew 7, 7 through 11. It's right there in black and white and red. Either it's true or the Lord is a liar. And I know that there's only truth in him. The liar is the one who's telling you otherwise. He only is our rock and our salvation. He is our defense. We shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory. The rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. That's David talking about the Lord in the Psalms. Salvation and glory and foundational strength in the Lord becomes our refuge of safety. There's more here, but I'm going to save it. Lord, we need more. We need more faith. We need more of this. We need hope. A lot of darkness out there, Lord. There's a lot of Ugly things happening, but we have light that dispels darkness. We have words that give life. We have the ability to lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. We have the ability to cast out the demons that are causing this mess. We have the ability to change things. Let us be bold enough to do it. Give us the provision to go, to do, to shine, to confront the powers of darkness, to set the captives free to take a word of knowledge or a word of revelation and show up somewhere before it happens and keep it from happening through prayer, maybe through a word, maybe through a smile, maybe through something that you tell us to do that changes the direction of an event. Instead of blundering through this world, we'll walk through this world in authority and strength, holding our head high, our shoulders wide, knowing who we are and knowing where we've come from. You see, Elijah, when he left the despair, when he went to the cave and he heard the whisper and the whirlwind and he went back, it wasn't too long after he got raptured out of here. That's basically what happened to Elijah. He left him alive on the chariot, gone. Him and Enoch, a proof of rapture. It's happened before. Get out of that valley of despair. Get out of the darkness of your mind. Begin to read the Psalms. Read these words out loud. If you need to listen to this more than once, do it. But come to a place that you know, that you know, that you know. Deep down in your soul, no matter what your circumstances are saying, no matter what your friends are saying, your family is saying, other believers might be saying, false teachings might be saying, the word is sure, the word is yea and amen. So, Father... Touch us right now. Reach into the darkness. Get us to where we need to be. Let us go do what you called us to do. We're holding on to that hope in you. In Yeshua's name. Amen. May the Lord bless you. 
and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, give you shalom. I'm Richard Grund. This has been The Porch on Firefall Talk Radio. Thank you.